Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang. It's time now to take a look at April's biggest winners and losers on the market and what lies ahead for investors in the next few weeks. Helping us out is David Kuo, co-founder of The Smart Investor. Good morning, David. Good morning, Elliot. Good morning, Ryan. And congratulations to all Liverpool supporters. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, they're uh, facing your team in the FA Cup final as well. Uh, well, well, precisely, yeah. So don't be too greedy. Uh, let us have one and then you can have the Champions League. How's that? Yeah? <laughs> or nuts. Personal highlights for the month of <laughs> April. I don't know, David, do you think this uh, easing of COVID restrictions, that's got to be a huge highlight, huh? Well, it certainly has got to be a huge highlight. And there, there are two sides to this, uh, Liet. And the first one is that, yes, it's great to be able to go out. But the other problem is that many of the restaurants that I go to are having supply chain problems. Yeah, Not yeah. supply chains in terms of the food coming in, but in terms of staffing. Yeah. Many, many of the restaurants I go to, they have waiting staff, but they don't have clearing staff. Yeah. And so, therefore, you can't get a table until such time that they clear the tables, wipe the tables down, yeah. and get ready for the next guest. So, really, is a tale of two recoveries, really. Ryan, any highlights for you in April? No. I'll go with Elon Musk buying Twitter. It's just something that keeps giving and he is <laughs> a newsmaker himself. So every month, I look forward to something new for Elon Musk. Oh boy. Okay, David, we're going to talk a little bit before we get to Ryan who will highlight some of the winners and losers for the month of April. I want to talk about how stocks kind of stabilize overnight. A bit of a holding pattern as we await that Federal Reserve decision that's happening a little little bit later tonight. But after a big drawdown in April, the question is whether stocks can make a real move high to cut the losses for the year. The last major rally came from the March Fed meeting. And just like this time, stocks had fallen in the weeks preceding the central bank's updated statement. Your thoughts? Well, I think it really depends on what uh, Jay Powell, I think most people know that the interest rates are going to go up today by about half a percentage point. Mm. So therefore, it really depends on what he says after that. How fast and how furious will he be in terms of the rate hikes? And it's hard to imagine Jay Powell being anything like Vin Diesel, but I think it is. But I, but I do think it's going to be fast and furious. I mean, just, just having a look at the bond market at the moment is looking pretty much as though interest rates are going to rise very, very quickly, very, very furiously, and then it'll taper off because his prime concern at the moment is to try and tamp down on inflation, and uh, he wants to do that without driving the U.S. economy into recession. It's a difficult act for him to try and pull off, but I have this feeling that he's going to be able to do it. So mm. I think interest rates are going to go up, and then after about maybe a year, they're going to start tapering off a bit, and then it's not going to be as furious as in the first 12 months. Mm. Just they've got to end the franchise anyway, right, after part 11. David, do you think, do you think there's a bit <laughs> of a global push or global pressure here? Because, I mean, we were surprised with Australia's rate decisions as well. It's like, let's tackle inflation, let's do it aggressively, let's do it fast. Well, they have to, Elliot, because they don't have any choice, because inflation is one of those big problems that hits everybody. And so therefore, the central banks, if they are true to what they're supposed to do, which is to tackle inflation, they have to make that their prime concern. 
So we saw that in Australia. We see it to some extent here in Singapore. We don't use interest rates as such, mm. but here in Singapore, we use the currency in order to manage inflation. And everybody knows that there is inflation in the system. And when you have a look at the figures coming out from the US, there is inflation. But the problem, Elliot, is what is causing the inflation? Everybody is sort of saying it's supply chain problems. There's wars in Eastern Europe. There is the China lockdown, which is causing supply chain shocks. And so, therefore, will increasing interest rates be able to resolve the problems in Eastern Europe? Will it be able to resolve the COVID problem in China? No, it won't. Mm. But what it will do is to try and sort of tighten people's budgets a little to say, I'm not going to go out and buy as much as I did before. And therefore, that will hopefully sort of bring down prices in general, because if demand is slower, then, of course, you're not going to have that much of a problem in terms of the supply. The supply chain problems will still be there. It won't resolve that, but at least it will make people think twice about going out and spending too much money. But at the same time, after I said that, they do want people to go out and spend money because that is what is really going to be able to drive many economies back out of the recession again. So, like I said, it's going to be a very difficult act for all central banks around the world to try and navigate that that middle path, bringing down inflation without tipping the, any of their economies into, re, into recession again. And the greatest balancing act in history. Let's talk about the outlook for Singapore banks after the first quarter results, where all three banks reported a 10% drop in the first quarter profit. What are your thoughts on this? Well, going back to what we were saying about interest rates, interest rates are a tailwind for the banks. And so if we know that interest rates are going to go up and they are going to go up fairly quickly, then of course that is going to benefit the banks because the banks make the vast majority of their money from that interest rate differential. The amount of money they pay us for our deposit and the amount of money they charge us for the interest rates they charge us for borrowing money. And so therefore, I think initially people were a little disappointed that the profits had fallen 10% across the board, across the three banks. But I think going forward, what it will mean is that the banks will be able to increase interest rates and I think that will be able to benefit the bottom line of the banks and at the same time benefit the share price. Although the share price is going to be a little bit more difficult for people to try and judge, but I think the profits are going to start improving as a result of the interest rate differential between mm. savers and borrowers. Mm. Uh, David, uh, another interesting headline over the weekend was the Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholders meeting. Uh, anything stood out for you? Because Warren Buffett still doesn't like Bitcoin. He wishes he bought more Apple and he's now in favor of energy stocks. Well, I think all three things sort of stood out for me. I mean, in terms of bit- I think in terms of Bitcoins, I think I'm going to upset a lot of people who are big Bitcoin fans. But I think what he's saying is right. When you buy an asset, you have to be able to value it somehow. And I think the problem he has with Bitcoin is how do I value it? And the analogy that he gave was if somebody were to say, I'm going to give you a bunch of Bitcoins for $25, would you take it? And his answer was no. But at the same time, he said that if I were to give you an asset, let's say your condo, I'm going to sell my condo for $25. Would you take it? And if you have a comparable choice between taking Bitcoins and your condo for $25, which one would you take? And I think he said his answer is, I'd take the condo, right? I would mm-hmm. take an asset that I can value. Because with the condo, I can rent it out. I can get a rental yield. Yeah. So therefore, that would make more sense. And I think that was what it was trying to drive at, that it is hard to value something. And if you can't value it, why would you want to take it? Why yeah. would you want to spend money on it? Yeah. Uh, and before I hand things over to Ryan, who will talk about the winners and losers for the month of April, I'm going to steal a line from him. Sell in May and go away. David, your thoughts? Is it going to be any different this year? 
Oh, for sure. I, well, I, for sure in the sense that it really depends on what happens. Okay, so if, if you follow the adage and you say, I'm going to sell in May, great. The stock market may fall, but at the same time, let's say that the COVID situation in China improves and the supply chains start to reconnect again and the goods that we want to buy from China are free-flowing and everything is good. Would you have made a mistake by selling in May? I think the answer is yes. Mm. And similarly, if some resolution uh, were to happen between Ukraine and Russia Mm. and the war ends, then suddenly the stock market will go up. So it's very difficult to try and sort of time the market. All you can do is to say, do the stocks I want to buy look cheap? And if they do, then go ahead and buy them. And Warren Buffett went out and bought Apple stocks when they fell. And I think he bought about $600 million worth of Apple stocks when they were cheap. When they went up, he said, you know, I'm stopped buying. So I, I think it's the same situation for private investors like us. We are mere mortals. All we can say is, does the stock look cheap? If it does, then go ahead and buy it and forget about trying to time the market over the short term. All right, Channing David Kuo, he is the co-founder of the Smart Investor. Uh, David, talking about stocks being cheap, the STI was down 2.2%. So maybe some bargains there in April. And also worth setting a context, the S&P 500 had a worst month in April, down 9.1%. In fact, it was its worst month since the COVID-19 pandemic began in March 2020. So you have the SCI down, but not as bad as the US markets. And if you look at some of the top losers, they come in the likes of Capital DC REIT, lower by 9.2%. UOB was down 6.3%. And Wilmer International, lower by 5.7%. So let's start with Capital DC REIT, down 9.2%. Is that attractive enough for you to get back into this stock with you know, how things are all data these days? Well, I think that is the problem. In terms of the performance, Capital Data Center REIT, DC REIT, didn't really do that bad. But what they were very concerned about was the high energy costs. And as we know, if you're going to store data, it's going to cost you in terms of the energy. Mm. And if energy prices are going to go up, then of course it means that the amount of profits that these type of data centers are going to make is going to start reducing. So I think people were a little bit concerned. And I think most households are a little concerned at the moment about rising energy costs. And whether you're talking about your household energy bills or whether you're talking about driving a car, they are going up in price. So it's not really entirely surprising why Keppel DC REIT were to fall because I think they're very concerned about higher energy costs for that type of industry. Mm, higher power costs will be a drag on margins. And talking about being a drag, uh, we've got a drop in net profit for banks across the board, down 10%. And UOB was one of the top losers last month, down 6.3%. Is this something you're looking at to buy on the dips? I think so. And I think, you know, there was probably a little bit of profit taking there as well. And most of the people bought on the rumors that the banks were going to have reasonable results. And they were quite reasonable. But at the same time, you know, they fell on the news. And uh, once the results came out, the share price of many of the Singapore banks did in, in fact fall. As I mentioned to Elliot earlier on, I think what is going to happen is that when we start looking forward into the next quarter and the quarter after that, the bank profits are going to improve as a result of that better interest rate margin that plays into their hands, really. Yeah, here's an interesting one. We international down 5.7%. And this is against a backdrop of rising commodity costs. What's the play here for Wilma? Well, I think there are a couple of issues there. The first one is palm oil exports from Indonesia. I mean, Indonesia is very concerned about higher energy costs as well. And of course, higher food costs. So they slapped the ban on the export of palm oil. And Wilma is very heavily involved in that palm oil industry. So it means that it's going to be a little bit more difficult for Wilma to get its palm oil out of uh, Indonesia. 
And the other issue is that the lockdowns in Shanghai and Shenzhen is also affecting Wilmar because those are very big markets for Wilmar in terms of the food ingredients. And if you have lockdowns, it means that people can't go out and buy stuff, which means that it could affect the revenue for Wilmar International. All right, David, let's take a look at the winners for April. I've got right at the top, Jardine Cycle and Carriage up nearly 16%. Yang Zhejiang Shipbuilding is up nearly 15%. And Sengkong Industries in the Green Bar nearly 11%. And it really stands out. Jardine Cycle and Carriage, people are still buying cars. Well, it's not so much cars over here. I mean, we think of Jardine Cycle and Carriage as being a car distributor in Singapore, but it is a very big player in Indonesia. And we do know, in fact, that the Indonesian economy is starting to improve. And we saw recently, or rather Jardine Cycle and Carriage announced that its 50% owned interest in Astra International saw an 84% jump in profit. So it was really investment in Astro International that is driving the Jardine Cycling Carriage share price. Okay, and the next one in place is Yang Zhejiang Shipbuilding, second up by 14.5%, of course, in the news for a spin-off Yang Zhejiang Finance. Uh, what's your take on its outlook here after spinning off? Well, I think people are very excited that Yang Zhejiang Shipping has been able to successfully spin off its finance section. Uh, but the other side is, of course, that the shipbuilding side is not doing that badly either. Uh, its order books are reasonable, and in terms of Yang Zhejiang shipping, it's in the right place at the right time. As the recovery starts to take place after the pandemic, we are going to require more ships. People are talking at the moment about how difficult it is to get a shipping space, so I think that is mm. going to be good news for Yang Zhejiang shipping. And David, just to wrap things up, talking about right place, right time, saying about industries up 10.5%, and of course, oil prices have been giving some support to some extent. Uh, yes, to some extent, but I think the other side of it is that Semcor industry a little while ago started moving into renewables. And I think that is really what is exciting the market, that uh, it is heavily involved in uh, renewable energy. And everybody knows that global warming is an issue. So if you're in renewables, you're going to be in huge demand, Ryan. All right. We've been speaking with David Kaur, co-founder of The Smart Investor. David, as always, we appreciate your time. You take care and stay safe. Yeah. Thank you so much and have a good May. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.